everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have another special guest, the founder of Obsidian Foundation, a man of many talents, and just a good person to learn how to make your tea with. We have Nick Makoa in the building, y'all. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, man. So got into Obsidian and Nick changed my life, changed many poets' life, especially in the time of COVID, especially the fact of being Black poets around the world. Though it's based for the UK, a lot of us um, from America, the Caribbean, were able to participate, which connected us and helped me especially find how to really tell my story as a Liberian person who's in Puerto Rico, who does travel. So Nick, just tell the people a little bit about yourself. Hi, well, um, I'm Nick. I'm uh, Nick McCall. I'm from Uganda originally. I live in London. Um, I'm a poet, have been for most of my adult life, ironically. I, um, I, I, did, I did study to be a biochemist. Uh, I think my mom, as, every, as many African and Caribbean moms will tell you, they, she wanted me to be a, either a lawyer or a doctor. I was going down the doctor route. Uh, it was working, but um, I wasn't satisfied with it. And I got a bit disillusioned um, in university. And then I just started, you know, on the peripheries chasing writing, not not with any ambition. It was just, um, uh, I think it was just part for my well-being initially. And uh, it just seemed to take bigger and bigger spaces in my life. I mean, it, it was it had always been there. I, don't, I think it was a flame that was always on. Um, but also it, it brought out the best of me. And then at some point I just said, you know what? Um, it's kind of like how we are now. I think many people are in the pandemic and suddenly realizing, you know, if this is gonna be my life, maybe I should be doing what I love or maybe I should be loving the people I need to love. So um, I had that kind of epiphany, the same epiphany people are probably having now when I was in my early twenties. And um, I just knew I had to make uh, writing a, um, a cornerstone in my life. Uh, particularly poetry so uh yeah um pursued it wrote my first collection took a while i think not not as an excuse but just as a reality being a black creative takes a while because you're always having to exist in a white space translate yourself protect yourself and also understand yourself because you're what what is being reflected back to you isn't true so a lot of times i'm perceived either as a threat or as, you know, lacking intelligence, or as, you know, um, not qualified enough. So um, a lot of times you, you suffer, I would even say bouts, I would say you suffer the stress of, of a lack of confidence syndrome, which uh, on some level is understandable, but on some level is, is imposed on you. So that the first session took me a while, but um, I had a great mentor, I had a great program that I happened to get into, The Complete Works. Um, had a great community around me. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky to know people like Roger Robinson, Malika Booker, and they're genuine people. So they genuinely believe in writing, but they also believe in community. So um, I think that was quite helpful for me. Transitioning from biochemistry, being a banker, coming into really this process of being a writer, you know, you did something very extreme of burning your suits because you're just like, no, this is the life that I'm going 
to live, you um, stress the importance of community, which I like that has really helped me um, this year, that community, people holding you accountable and also having other black people to lift you up and encourage you in your craft. Because like you said, what is reflected around us isn't generally our stories. And so to be able to be black people and have black communities and people who are interested in our growth and development, that's powerful. And you said it takes a while to really come into like our creative self. So can you maybe describe your poetry process when you have to sit down and write a poem or now that you're working on your second collection right what's your daily routine like i i mean when you were talking what came up for me is i really appreciate acts of kindness so acts of kindness within inside of my creative space help so there was a time when i was 19 and i used to go to this weekend arts college in camden and uh there was a audition technique it was an, it, was, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like a sexy class, but the teacher was amazing. Um, and she gave me confidence. So at the end of that year, I gave her, I bought her a gift, not for any other reason in that she just gave me confidence. And it suddenly made me believe in myself as a black entity artistically. I don't even think she realized it. It was just things that she did and how she was, you know? So I was like, you know what? At the end of the year, let me give thanks to people who have allowed me to become a better person, you know, a version of myself. So as I, you know, as I identified as a writer, cause you have to actually identify cause you can write casually, you can pretend you're a writer. You know, as Terence Hayes said, and I totally agree and Roger and I talk about this. You're only a writer when you're writing. So um, a lot of my process was doing stuff that wasn't writing. So you were performing a poem, that isn't writing. You could be um, hanging out with poems, poets, that isn't writing, you could be, watching um, poets perform, that isn't writing. So I had, to, I had to let go of the facade of being a poet, you know? And I think when you're young, you do that. It's just like, it's just like I like football, I hang out with footballers, I play football, you know, like, it's like I like poets, hang out with poets, we go to poetry nights, da da da, I'm a poet, you know? You know but then I, just, I had to kind of dial it back and think, okay, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not actually doing anything to develop my poetry apart from being passionate about poetry. And, and, you know, at, at that point, I was doing really well on the spoken word circuit. So I, I did something that was counterintuitive. I stepped away from the, the poetry circuit and I started to, you know, I was attending Malika's Kitchen, um, you know, here in London. And I started to focus on my reading and I started to, to take a journey inward. And, uh, and ironically, it, it, it knocked my confidence because there are things you can do as a, as a persona that don't fly as when you're trying to learn craft, right? So um, all the things I used to lean on instinctually were no longer useful when I was developing my craft. So when I came back, I kind of came back on the scene. I was actually a different person because this person was fueled by craft as opposed to, oh, the audience love this or, you know, and, and both are good, but it's just that I, I wanted to be a writer for my life, not a writer for the moment. So what I've realized about process is, is it's a daily work and most days are successful failures. And it's a, like, a, it's like a long-term project. So what I, what I realize is I get ideas all the time. I kept, I try to capture ideas. I like to read a lot. So, you know, and I read, uh, I read non-linearly, non I realize, but I, even though I'm, I'm quite pedantic about reading, I like to finish a book. But then I might read this book and then read that and then watch this. And I realized that my mind is actually 
having many thoughts about these things and making connections. And then I have, and what I was bad at initially was noticing the connections. You know, I'd only notice what we would call inspirational connections. Ah, I like this, you know, but sometimes you, you, you're not liking something, but that's also a connection. And then I had to learn the, the sanctity of a blank page. So the work begins on a blank page. So it's like, notice how you avoid sitting at a blank page. And we do that many ways. So we'll go on our phone and write on our phones because a blank page is way more scarier than a phone or an iPad or a computer. So I try and find ways to get myself to the blank page. Um, and uh, what I remember when I was first writing my book is that there'll be days uh, I'd frustratedly sit at my blank page or even my computer and just be, and, and I, I wouldn't move, not because I, I, I'd, I was trying to move, I wanted to do the dishes or whatever, but I had to teach myself that this is who you are. This is where it happens, not in all the other things that you're doing. Um, and then, yeah, for the second collection, what I've learned is that I just have more resource around me. Whereas before, uh, for many reasons, uh, it took me way longer than it needed to. Um, uh, lack of confidence, learning, you know, what, what we were, I was talking to you about in the, about metics, about being these separate, we are several identities. So a, a white body moves around the world and it never has to question its whiteness. A black body moves around the world and is always being interrogated about its blackness. So it, it, it can be weaponized against you. Sometimes we even weaponize ourselves. So we're trying to fit in. So what we're saying is our blackness is not good enough for ourselves. So we weaponize it. It can, you know, it, it can also be um, threatening to others. You know, so a lot of times we are perceived as threats, you know. And then, so it was, it's like to be a writer, you have to be comfortable with yourself on some kind of level or, or you have to allow yourself some space to play. You know, because creativity is play. It is. It is. Um, you got to give that. You know, that phonetic energy. Um, so yeah, I, I've. I've. What I've learned with this second collection is I. Initially, I had to take a rest. I was exhausted. I didn't realize how much energy I put into not just writing, but being in the state of writing. You know, like it's a state of being. Um, putting a collection together, like you have to say, I'm, it's kind of like a marathon. So a marathon, you feel great at the beginning. You, you know, oh, you got the kit. You look great. Uh, you take off your stuff, you do a stretch, you're good to go. And that's kind of how I was writing. And then about halfway, you're like, I'm thirsty. My, my legs are chafing, you know, and then you three quarters of the way, you're like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I really don't want to do this anymore. Um, and people are, are questioning, are, are you really doing a book? You said you're doing a book. Is, is something, What's wrong with the book? Is there something wrong with Nick? And I don't think people understand the barriers just that, not just Black, but Latinx, but people of color in general go through in putting a book together because even if you could have an excellent book, then we, we take it to the publishers and then they're having another conversation. So I don't know if I answered your question, but how I am with my, with my, my second book is, is that I am I'm taking on with a lot more confidence. I'm allowing myself to be panicked and scared, um, but it, it is a daily process. So even now I was just kind of like the, the, the book that I'm thinking about, like I'm, I'm trying to understand it as much as it's trying to understand me. And I, I guess that's what I'm trying to teach. You know, I'm, while I'm trying to understand it, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, how, how open am I being to you? Because I can't be rigid with it. I can't assume I know what this book will be. You know, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I make sense. Yes, no, no, it did. You said so many gems. I'm like, perfect. Yes, the space, you know, mentioning the black methods, being able to like be black people, the whole process, um, all of that 
is important. All of that is valid. And I also kind of want to go back to how you said as Black people, as we move around um, and the challenges and people question us, um, you know, you mentioned the Black Metics in Obsidian Foundation, right? So can you talk about how T.S. Eliot inspired you to come up and also put Black bodies into the space? And how did that shape and shift how you ran Obsidian, how you run your archives, how you run your life, right? Yeah, so there are a few connections. Let me join the dots for you. So um, I was struggling in my writing. Um, and one of my, like my superheroes in writing, she, I mean, she won't admit it, but she does a lot of things for me, um, is Bernadine Evaristo. So what she did, uh, one, of the, one of her magic stories for me, which you already know, is uh, she got me onto the T.S. Eliot Summer School at, at the University of London um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago. And... Um, at, at those lectures, one of the professors talks about Eliot being a metic. I've never heard the word before. And a metic is a resident alien. So it's, you know, back in, in ancient times, you could be a slave could be, a, could be freed and they, they would have citizenship, but not the full rights of a citizen. So they couldn't go to war, they couldn't vote, you know, but so they could move around this kind of metropolis, but not fully with some element of freedom, but not with full freedoms. And, um, you know, T.S. Eliot described himself that way to a letter to his brother and um, so he described himself as a metic when he's living in London, because even though he's celebrated now as um, the UK, the godfather of British poetry, he's actually an American poet. And so he struggled, but he struggled initially being an American in an English space. And then over his life, as he stayed, he totally, you know, he rejects his American passport, becomes a British citizen, you know, totally transforms himself. So he, there's something that he's allowed to do that a lot of black writers or people of color struggle with is like, you know, I'm like for me. I'm when I'm in Uganda. I'm not Ugandan enough. When I'm in England, I'm not English enough. And part of that is, is is color and racism. That's one level. But there are other layers to that. So what I realize is this: I use this um, distinction to help me navigate my writing of my first, what well, all my work, because what I realized is I was immobilizing myself because I wasn't allowing myself to be the Ugandanness I needed to be in. in in whenever I needed it or, or access it or allowing myself to be my English identity or allowing myself to be my Arabian identity when I lived in Saudi Arabia. And this is something white bodies don't have to consider. So they go on holiday in, in some country, they feel like they own the country. They feel that they can talk, tell the people's story, but we feel them, uh, we don't feel that same power. So what I realized is using this, um, this um, distinction of metric, which I've, you know, turned into a kind of um, a manifesto as well. It really helped me have more confidence in writing my first collection, which went on to win awards, but I don't think that's the reason. It went on to win awards because I found my, you know, what people kind of cliche say, found my voice, but I think it's more than finding your voice. It's, a fi it's about finding the gears at which you can f um, observe the world and then write the world, you know? And so with these gears and writing the world and seeing the world and being this world, Obsidian was founded by all of the many places and spaces that shaped you, correct? Yeah, there's a few steps before that. But the big step is, I would say, is Carve Economy. So Carve Economy comes into my life. So I'm writing the book and then I apply for Carve Economy, which is uh, the only, it's a Black Writers Retreat for Black Poets, founded by Tor and Cornelia Sidi. I Every year I'll pretend I was doing an application for it, but I would forget and missed the application because I didn't believe, what I didn't realize is I didn't believe myself ultimately. Um, then I eventually get onto the course. Um, 
so ignorant was I, I didn't even realize that it was a, it was a course that you had to do three times. It's a one week retreat. So I get onto the course. And even when I get the application, I'm like, oh, what? I have to travel to America. Like it was so, I was so out of the loop. I, like I hadn't planned ahead. Like if I get this, I'll have to go to America for a week. I'd have to buy a ticket. Like I was so not prepared. What I got was I was so not prepared to be the writer I said I was. And then I think the biggest, well, one of the biggest thing is just being at Carve Con. It's not even writing at Carve Con. It's just being there and noticing that, hey, wait a minute. There are 50 other poets in the world? At this, because the way the industry tells you, you would think that there's only two other poets in the world or, or they're only, you know, it's because you, you never get access to them. You don't, you don't get really to talk to them. But I was able to talk to some of the greatest poets of our time. My buddy was Denez Smith. They are one of the kind of souls that you can meet, but you're talking to loads of amazing writers. Terence Hayes is just over there. You know, Elizabeth Alexander is our guest reader. Uh, you know, Chris Sabani is leading a work. Like, you're like, where, where, where am I? Like, it just, it feels like you're at the best house party you know, but it just happens to be, hey guys, you want to write some poems? Oh, okay. And I think um, at that point I hadn't, I wasn't even thinking of, of singing. I was just trying to write five poems because that's the task. So you know, every year I'd write these five poems. And I noticed those five poems were just, were so transformative to whatever I was, the, the work I was working on. I'd write those five poems and my collection would just, would just transform. I would transform. And, I, and, and, and you'd see other writers transform and you, you, don't, you don't even realize you're transforming. You just think, oh, I wrote these poems. You know, and, and uh, when I graduated, um, I just, um, Kavi asked you to like, how'd you pay it forward? You know, like you can contribute, you know, funding like that. But I just thought to myself, you know what? It would be a, 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 a wrong of me if I, if, I didn't, if I had access or I had, you know, power and I didn't help other black writers. And uh, I was in a car one time with Terence Hayes and my, he came to my book launch fortuitously. I don't know, he, he said, yeah, Nick, I'd love to come to your book launch. Um, and he, cause he just happened to be in town. And uh, he said, you know, Nick, we're the same age that Tori and Cornelius were when they opened up Carpe Conum. If we're gonna do, we should, we should do this. And from then on, I've been thinking about it, but what switched it was just uh, COVID and, and particularly George Floyd's death. I was so angry and um, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna do it now because what I realized is that this is destroying, if you destroy the artists, you destroy culture. If you destroy culture, you destroy the people. So I was like, I need to do something. I can't, I don't, I can't I'm, not, I'm not gonna go on marches. That's not my thing, but I'm gonna help black poets. And, um, you know, Carve has always helped me. Um, you know, I, I, I kid you not. So for example, when I was in, when I went to New York to, perform my one person show, which has nothing to do with poetry, even though it has poetic imagery. It was Carve Khan and Poets that housed me for free for about two weeks. Where every time I tried to put my hand in my pocket to pay rent, they would look at me sideways. I think I only had to pay for meals and even then they would cook, you know, like that's the level of community that I was being shown, you know, from just, yeah. And they didn't have to, I, I just, I just, I said, guys, I'm in New York, could, could you help me? And even when they, you know, they extended themselves, you know, like, you know, I was, you know, like that. And I, and I, and I just thought to myself, you know what, the least I can do is set up Obsidian Foundation. 
I'm so happy you did because I was able to witness a form of transformation as well. And you are paying it forward. And I know the people who are connected to you will continue to do the same because you are inspiring us to make the tea. So since you're going to share a poem with us today. So my title poem, I actually wrote a carve Conum of my book. It's called Kingdom of Gravity. And I wrote it just like how you wrote it, uh, of your, the poems you wrote. And I didn't think, I mean, I didn't think everything of it. I was just, it wasn't even the, the title of what the book was going to be, but it was just, um, I'd been struggling for many years to write a book about the Nile. Because um, one of the sources of the River Nile is in Uganda. And I thought if I could get people to understand the river, maybe they could understand my people. Um, and, you know, people have many misconceptions about Uganda because all our leaders have been dictators. So um, you never really get to see the people because all you perceive us to be are the people who are led by dictators. You, you kind of know about that by, through Liberia, I guess. So. Um, so yeah, this is the kingdom of gravity. We are not Alexander who conquered worlds, giving them new tongues. We share a story of a ship resting on an African river, unbuckling at its shore, awakened by a night's cold, hard rain staring at the face of the Nile as it reminds you that you are a hawk, silent in the voice of a midnight universe. What makes a man name a city after himself, asking the bricks to be bones, asking the wind to breathe like the lungs of a night, asking the night to come close to you, to speak to you as a tribe, asking the tribe to sleep, asking sleep to loosen language, asking language to dream. Come close to me. Can you not see that I am in search of fire? unshapen song of light in my mouth a flame spoken by the oracle like others i was in search of a forest a place to call home but what can i tell you about the kingdom about having the world at your feet when you have seen all verse boundaries you will search for them in rivers you you will look for them in streams and when the river looks back at you how can you be sure that nothing is lost how can you not see that I am in search of a fire and in the place of calling home? And I feel like us as poets, as Black people, we are always burning. Like you said, there's this passion in us or anger or like we've just been so oppressed. And to be able to find our homes, to be able to find our, our people, our tribes and learn our language, to learn how to ask questions, to learn how to share our stories is very important. So I can't thank you enough for what you're doing, what you continue to do. I hope that, you know, people realize um, that they don't have to hide anymore, that they can find their truth, they can write their own stories, they can make their tea, however they may be, whenever they find their community and understand, you know, um, that it takes time, but you have to be committed to it. So Nick, how are you on your way? I'm on my way. Uh, well, I think it's a milestone for me to be able to uh, open um, Obsidian. Um, I, you know, I hope this is a legacy project. So I hope it becomes bigger than, than just, you know, how I perceive it. You know, I hope it, it, um, it adopts all the principles that Carve does because we are, we are, we are indebted to that experience. I hope it nurtures black poets. And and if I if I do that, I'm on my way. Um, I'm writing my second collection. I feel like I'm starting to get my my shooting range, if that makes sense. So like, you know, um, I think before I was kind of weary from the first book, but now I'm starting to feel like, yeah, I, I know what this book is doing. So I think I'm on my way there. Um, I feel like 
I'm ready to be like the total writer. If that, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can't. I, I mean, I'll probably do many other things, but I can't see how writing would ever leave my life. And I, I, I'm grateful for it. Like I'm, I'm actually grateful. I think being grateful for who you, what you have to, what you're able to do in your life. Um, and also, you know, I have my family around me, which is, you know, you know, particularly, you know, what I, what I told you, one of the fires for me was George Floyd, you know, he was a father. People forget that, you know, whatever his wrongs are, whatever, how we perceive him, that, that was a black father loving his daughter and uh, he was murdered. And so just to have a life, you're on your way, you know, and I, I think I, I, in many ways, I took for granted this life that I had. And maybe that's what, you know, got Obsidian Foundation set up is because I was like, you know what, I can't take for granted that, you know, there will always be room for the black poet. I have to have, find a way to claim that space. So every time, every opportunity that I get as a writer or black writers get, black poets get, or you know, any ways I can help black writers means I'm on my way. And um, um, I, you can't do this passively. It has to be an active process. Yes, that is a beautiful way. And we thank you for continuing to walk in truth, to continue to make space, to write and lead by example. I'm so grateful for you and for you sharing your story. Please tell my wonderful listeners, where can they connect with you at? All right, cool. Well, you know, my name, Nick McCoha, that's my website. So you can do that. Mr. McCoha, Twitter. So, um, you know, you go to my website, I've got Instagram, you know, um, but, but most, most importantly, if you're a poet, a black poet, uh, j join our mailing list, um, help us build a community because the community already exists. So I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel, but we need to know that we're out there. So um, join the mailing list, um, you know, try and apply if you can get in. If you don't get in, don't take it as a rejection. Just, just make yourself known as a poet, you know, whether you're 18 or 80 or, you know, 36 or 22 or, you know, male or female, I, I really don't care. I, I'm interested just to know where you are in the world and that you exist. Um, and, and, and how do you, how can you reach out in your community? So reach me on, on my website, but more importantly, um, join us on obsidianfoundation.co.uk and just become part of the community. Make sure you do join that mailing list, get his book, Kingdom of Gravity, P. Paltree Press. And yeah. also we're looking forward for that second collection when you're ready. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. To all of my listeners, like just know that you're on your way, even if that means burning some suits or some trees or some papers, you know, do what you have to do to find your journey, your purpose and your place. Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed.